This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. We want to continue along the lines that we've been uh, teaching for the last uh, several weeks on uh, a series that we've entitled Financial Freedom for the Last Days. Now, we've uh, used as a text scripture and want to continue to do so this morning, Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 6 down through verse 11. And it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Folks, there is a window for making a decision for God. There is a window for deciding what you're going to do about his word. The window's not open forever. Seek the Lord while you may, while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So you see right away, if we don't read any further, you can see right away the Bible is telling the, the unrighteous and the wicked man he needs to change what he thinks and what he does. Forsake his way means his actions. And his thoughts means to forsake his thoughts, wrong thinking. And instead, let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, he's going to describe about your thoughts and your ways. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. Well, that tells us there's a difference in the way that man thinks and the way that God thinks. There's a difference in the way that man acts, natural man acts, and how God would act. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, that's pretty easy to figure out. God's smarter than us. He operates differently than us. Now he's going to use an example, an earthly example, to tell us how his thoughts and his ways operate. Or how we can have access, literally, to his thoughts and to know his ways. He says in verse 10, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither but waters the earth... And makes it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be. Now why is he talking about his word? I thought he was talking about his thoughts and his ways. Very simply, folks, because you can't understand his thoughts and you can't know his ways without knowing the word. If you want to know what God's thoughts are, there's only two options here. We've talked about this before, but I think it bears repetition. If he's saying, turn away from your thoughts and turn away from your ways, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and your, my ways are higher than your ways. As high as the heaven is above the earth, my thoughts and my ways are higher than yours. He's either thumbing his nose at us or he's trying to get us to do something. He's either saying, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and you're never going to know them, so give up. Or he's saying, here's how you can know my thoughts. Here's how you can know and operate my ways. That's what I believe he's saying. And that's why he gives us the example of the rain comes down from heaven and then ties that example together with the real point, the real source of his thoughts and his ways. He says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. So what's he saying? He's saying if you think the word, you'll accomplish his thoughts. If you act according to what the Bible says to do, then it will prosper in the thing that he sent it to do. Because the Word is the answer. You can't know God by feelings. Feelings are great. I rejoice with those of you that have them. <laughs> My wife would tell you that's a lot more true than you think. You, you think that's a joke. My wife does not agree. Feelings are great. It's great to have good feelings. But you can't judge God by them. 
And that's what's happened so much, particularly in charismatic circles. You get charismatic churches, people that are filled with the Holy Ghost, they get this euphoria, this excitement, this feeling that comes along with speaking in other tongues. They think, oh, that's it, that's it, that's it. And when they don't have the feeling, they think God's a million miles away. That's not the way it works. You're not going to know God by feelings. You're only going to know God by His Word. That's why the Bible tells you to pray the Word. That's why the Bible says, put me in remembrance. Because God's saying, Bring the word back to me in prayer because that's what I'll honor. Oh, but I just don't feel like God loves me anymore. What does the Bible say about it? I just don't feel like God is close. He used to be close. I used to feel him. I just don't feel like he's close anymore. What does the Bible say about it? The Bible says God never leaves you or forsakes you. What we feel about it doesn't matter. God's word's true regardless of our feelings. So we're talking about thinking God's thoughts. We're talking about operating according to God's ways. And the specific area that we're talking about in this regard is financial freedom. We're talking about finances. We're talking about what does God say about money. If the Bible tells us anything about money, then it means God wants us to think in line with what he said about money. And if we do, if we think his thoughts about money and operate according to what his word says to do about money, then it will accomplish what God intends and it will prosper in the thing whereto he sent it. In other words, that's how he brings prosperity to you and me. Now, one example that we can give just real quickly, most everybody knows this. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. There is a natural inclination, especially in hard economic times, there is a natural inclination to think there is not enough. So what do people do when they think it, there's not enough? They don't give. So to think God's thoughts, instead of thinking man's thoughts, better hoard up everything you've got. Better hold back. One of the things we hear all these politicians talking about where the economy is concerned is one reason there's no jobs is because businesses are holding back. Now, rightly or wrongly, they may be right in doing so. I'm not saying that anybody's wrong about it. But the, the attitude is, the idea is, banks are doing the same thing. Banks won't loan money. Why? Because they're thinking things are going to get worse. So what happens when man thinks things are going to get worse? He hunkers down. Yet the Bible says, given, it'll be given unto you. Two different schools of thought there, isn't there? Which one are we going to go by? Well, we got a choice. We can either think like the world thinks or we can think like God thinks. Bible says in Proverbs that the thought of the diligent always lend to abundance. In other words, the diligent person always thinks of plenty. But to the person that's hasty, the person that's, that's undisciplined, he only thinks of what he doesn't have. Boy, there's a good example of two different uh, opposing schools of thought. If you're diligent in the things of God, if you're diligent in the Word, you'll always think that there's plenty. No matter what the economy is doing. Because your source is not what the economy produces. Your source is God. So we've got a choice. Are we going to do what the Bible says? Are we going to think what the Bible tells us to think? Or are we going to think according to what the Word says? Now, folks, we're, we're going to take some things for granted. I know not all of you have been with us for, uh, for each of these services. And I encourage you to get a hold of some of the messages that we've talked previous to this point, uh, whether you want to buy the CDs or download them for free on the online or whatever, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not out to, to make money off the things. I'm just out for people to get the information. Because the one thing that the Lord spoke to me about this series, and I don't know how long we're going to go, maybe just another couple of weeks on it, but the one thing that the Lord told me about this is to get the people, to instruct the people to renew their minds to wealth. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I don't hear any politicians talking about wealth. I don't hear any economists talking about wealth. I don't hear anybody painting a rosy picture. I hear some people saying it can be better than it is, and I certainly agree with them. But I don't hear anybody talking about wealth. Do you? But God's Word always does. You'll never find a place in the Bible where God says, Oh, you're in trouble now. Better bury everything you can get your hands on deep so you don't lose it. You can't find that. Because God's the God of abundance. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. He said to pray that the will of God would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Now we're talking about healing, so let's ask the question, what's the will of God concerning healing in heaven? Is there any sickness in heaven? Then Jesus is saying that they, the disciples, should pray that the will of God in every area, including healing and sickness, should be done here on the earth just like it is in heaven. That would mean, therefore, for the people of God that they be free from sickness because that's exactly the way it's going to be when we get to heaven. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Now, as such, we've talked about some different things, a lot of different things uh, regarding this, uh, this series and this subject. But uh, some of the basic things that we found is that God intended for his people to have plenty. We see in, uh, in Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, for example, when Moses is talking to the uh, children of Israel, he's about to go off the scene. He knows he's not going to go into the promised land. So he's about to go off, the, off of the scene. And so he, primarily the whole book of uh, Deuteronomy, not, not every chapter, but 95% of the chapters of Deuteronomy is Moses' last speech. You ought to read through that thing sometime. And if you do, you'll have a whole different attitude about how long church services ought to be. I mean, Moses told these folks everything. You can understand it. He's been wandering in the wilderness with them for 40 years. The most rebellious, stiff-necked, not the church you'd want to have. I mean, these people have been something. They've seen the hand of God protect Moses. They've seen the glory of the Lord appear because they murmured to try to stone Moses and, and do all kinds of things. They've seen plagues. They've seen earth, the earth open up and swallow people that rebelled against God. I mean, these people have seen everything in the world. And now right at the end of Moses' time with them, he explains certain things. And some of the things that he explains is about what God intends for them in the promised land that Joshua is going to lead them into. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us a lot about what they're going to find in the promised land. A lot of what God planned for them 40 years before they ever took it. He talks about a good land, a land that flows with milk and honey. He talks about a land where they can eat bread without scarceness. He talks about a land where the flocks and the herds will multiply. He talks about them building goodly houses. He talks about them having plenty in every area and every respect. Their, their, their orchards will, will produce. Their olive trees will grow and prosper. He talks about all of these things. He speaks of one warning. He says, just make sure you don't let the blessing turn your heart away from God and make you think that you did the job. That's the only warning he gives them. He doesn't say, now be careful you don't get too much. 
One of the things about religion that has always fascinated me is how religion wants to tell you just how far you can go. I grew up in a church that said, oh, Jesus died for your sins. You need to give your heart to Jesus, and then you need to rededicate your life every week. But don't get off into that stuff where the Holy Ghost is concerned. Well, did God make any human being the person that draws the boundaries of what we can have and what we can't have? I'm amazed to hear people talk about healing today. I mean, the Bible says, same chapter that says Jesus died for your sins, same chapter that says Jesus provided forgiveness for your sins through the sacrifice of His blood, said that He shed His blood for healing, and He shed His blood for natural, physical, financial provision too. But we don't hear about the financial provision, and we don't hear about the healing. And you'll have preachers, bless their hearts, that will fight against healing. I mean, nobody would say, well, God can't heal. Of course, God can do anything. But God won't heal everybody. Says who? That's like saying God won't save everybody, isn't it? I mean, Jesus shed the same blood for both things, according to what Isaiah 55 says. Or 53, rather. Didn't he? So who's the one that gets to decide what man can have? Folks, I'm here to tell you that God decided what man could have, and that's what his word's all about. To tell us what we can have. So we see that from Deuteronomy, that God's plan was for Israel to have abundance. Not barely get by. Not just have some lean-to that they could, you know, get out from under the rain, if it would, unless it was a real bad storm. God intended for them to have plenty. Deuteronomy chapter 28 goes further and talks about your silver and your gold being multiplied. It talks about everything you put your hand to prospering. It talks about the windows of heaven being opened unto you and God giving His rain to prosper everything that you do. As long as you operate in obedience to the Word. In other words, as long as you think God's thoughts and do what His Word says. Now, the flip side of that is the curse. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, why don't you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We'll look at a couple of verses here. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but it's good for us to see certain things. Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses concludes his discourse after telling them all the things that God would do for them, all the things that God wanted for them, all the things that, that He's already provided for, then He tells them about the blessings that come from obedience to the Word, and then the curses that come from disobedience. And here are some of the curses. Verse 15, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe, to do all His commandments and His statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city. And cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your store. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your land and the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Notice verse 20. It says, The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke and all that you, all that you do. Folks, the trans, any translation, King James as well as any other translation is based on two things. I've said this so many times I'm blue in the face, but every time I say it, somebody comes up to me and says, Well, I've never thought about that with Bible translations. It's always true. Translations are based on two things. Now, I assume I operate from the basic assumption that all the translators want to get things as right and as accurate as they can. I don't think anybody's out there trying to trick us. But that doesn't mean they always do the best job that could be done either. Translations are always going to be based on two things. Number one, the translator's understanding of the language. 
The Hebrew, the uh, original Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. The original New Testament was written in the Greek language. Translators are going to have to know Hebrew and Greek in order to give us any kind of semblance to, to an English translation that makes sense to us. Right? But then the second part is what's overlooked. And, and in my opinion, most translators did a great job where the language is concerned. There are a lot of Hebrew words that are difficult to translate into English. It could mean one thing or the other. And so, therefore, it brings into the second brings the second uh, issue or the second criteria into play, and that is any Bible translation is going to be as good as, number one, the translator's knowledge of the language, and number two, their understanding of the character and the nature of God. Because you've got some Hebrew words that can mean exact opposites, depending on how they're used. And that's going to be left to the translators to determine what's God like, which one of these two opposite points or opposite things does he do. And the translators weren't always real good on that. As a result, the translators put some things in, in the King James. Certainly this is true where the others are concerned as well. But the translators add some things in the King James that give you a wrong picture of God. And you're going to have to judge that by other things that the Bible says in order to get a true picture. Now, it amazes me that God is... Um, I, I, I hate to use this word because nobody ever uses this word about God, but I don't know how, whatever, how else to describe it in this respect. It amazes me how easygoing God is about people saying the wrong things about Him. Man, if I was God, I'd fix that in a hurry. <laughs> but God doesn't fix that. God just lets everybody say what they want to say, and at the end, He shows who, what's really right. So there's a lot of things here in the Bible that give the impression that God is doing bad things to people when God doesn't do bad things to anybody. For example, here in verse 20, it says, The Lord shall send vexation and cursing upon you. There's no word for Lord in that verse. But in the translator's understanding, it's talking about a curse of disobedience. So how could it? How could these things happen if it's not God doing it to you? Well, folks, the answer to that is very simple. There are spiritual laws that are in motion. And they've been set in motion from the time that God created the earth. The, the spiritual laws that are in motion that Moses is telling them about is if you obey the word, you are obeying God. And so here's the blessings that will that'll occur. If you disobey the word, then you're setting yourself against God. And as a result, these curses will come upon you. God's not doing it. It's that it's a spiritual law. It's the equivalent of us saying, taking our small kids out onto the edge of a roof and saying, Now, honey, if you step off this roof, God will throw you to the ground. No, there's a law of physics called gravity. It's not God making somebody fall. And I would assume that our intent in, our, in this poor way of teaching our children would be to get them not to step off the roof, right? But there are spiritual laws in motion just like there are physical laws in motion. You step off of something high and it'll cause you to fall to the ground. God didn't make you fall to the ground unless you want to say God created the law of gravity so he's behind it all. Well, okay. He also created a brain that he intended to work inside your head to keep you from doing things that would hurt you. Do you see the point? And so where the Bible talks about these things that God will do and that God will bring upon you and that God will smite you with sickness and stuff, it's, not, it's a spiritual law that's already set in motion. It's like the law of gravity. So notice what it says the spiritual law is. The spiritual law is, if you disobey the word, cursing and vexation and rebuke will come upon you and all that you set your hand to do. Now folks, I see this in people's, I see this in operation in people's lives all the time. 
And notice how long it'll last. It said, this uh, cursing, vexation, and rebuke will come upon you and all that you set your hand to until you be destroyed. The word destroyed is the word desolate. Until you become desolate. He's talking finances. He's talking physical and material things. Folks, the Bible's real clear. If you want to know how to be in poverty, the Bible gives you the answer. If anybody's striving for that, the instructions are real clear. Until thou be destroyed or made desolate, and until thou perish quickly. The word perish here means to wander around or to lose oneself. He's talking about, not talking about physical death. He's talking about poverty. He's talking about being so impoverished that you walk around wondering, who in the world am I anymore? You see this a lot of times with people that turn away from God. I can show you some people that I went to Bible school with that they got off track and they let some things hurt them. I'm thinking of one guy right now. He let somebody dying who he thought was operating in faith make him think that healing's not for everybody and faith doesn't work and stuff like that. And bless that guy's heart. I mean, he is everything. He is the picture of destitution today. And he had a real gift of God on him. I mean, a real ministry call. Strong. So there are spiritual laws in motion. Spiritual laws are if you obey the word, blessings will come. If you disobey the word, curses will overtake you. And this is really what it's talking about. This is uh, Matthew 6.33 in reverse. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all and his righteousness and all these blessings shall be shall overtake you. This is all these curses shall overtake you through disobedience. It's the same thing. It's a spiritual law. There are spiritual laws in motion. And it's determined by what you think in line with the word and what you do according to what the Bible says as to whether or not you're going to get the blessing or the curse, whether you, whether or not you're going to have the spiritual law work for you on the positive side or on the negative side. Because the spiritual law is going to work for everybody. Gravity works for everybody. We try to make it work to our advantage, don't we? That's how spiritual laws are. That's exactly how spiritual laws are. Now, these are the, these are the curses of the law. Because all they had was the law of Moses in, in, uh, in this day. Now, the Bible says, and I'll remind you of this. I hope you know this, but I'll remind you of this. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Now, why did he do that? Notice it says he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Even if you took the position that God brought sickness and vexation and cursing and stuff like that on people in the Old Testament, the Bible says in the New Testament he doesn't do that. So if somebody wants to argue with me about the translation and all this kind of stuff, okay, have it your way. How does that apply to us now? Because the Bible says Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. That means there's no way God's sending cursing, vexation, and rebuke on people today. He's not doing it. Now, is it happening to people? Yeah, sure. But he's not doing it. Well, why is it happening to people? Because there are spiritual laws in motion. It can't get any simpler than that, folks. This is not rocket science. If it were rocket science, nobody would make it to heaven. The Bible is smart enough, uh, the Bible is spoken in a way that even those of us that aren't the sharpest knives in the drawer can get it. You ever notice how stupid smart people are? <laughs> the people that, cons- that consider themselves to be intellectual, have you ever seen a stupider bunch of people in your life? 
I'm so glad God didn't make it just for the intellectuals. Okay, so Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. That means the last part from chapter from Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15, all the way down through the end of the chapter, doesn't belong to us. That part of the spiritual law has been overcome because of Jesus. He redeemed us from that. He ransomed us from that. He purchased us out of that by His blood. Now, why did He do that? Well, Galatians 3.14 tells us that, or so that, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, number one, and number two, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, folks, the blessing of Abraham was a physical or a natural blessing. There was no spiritual component to the blessing of Abraham. There's nowhere that God said, if you obey me, then I'll, you know, save you, I'll make you righteous, I'll do any of that kind of stuff. The Bible says very specifically that the blessing of Abraham it fell into two categories. He would prosper him or make him rich, and he did. And number two, he'd bring him into divine health and provide for his family, his seed, to be healthy. Those are the blessings of Abraham. Now, there was a promise that was attached to the blessing of Abraham. But it's not a blessing, it's a promise. The promise was, I will give you a Messiah that will enable you to be with me forever. So what did Jesus redeem us from the, cur- redeem us from the curse of the law for? For those two things. The natural blessing of Abraham and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And that happens when we make, when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. In other words, God recreates you when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. When you think in line with God's thoughts concerning salvation, when you do what the Bible says to do and make Jesus the Lord of your life by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, a change occurs on the inside of you. The Word of God prospers you in the, in the thing God sent it to do, which is to bring you into salvation. So we see how it works. So we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And... Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we receive the blessing of Abraham, which is prosperity and health. Now, to argue with that says that the Bible doesn't mean what it says. I don't care about interpretation. I don't care about commentaries. What does the Bible say? If God's not smart enough to tell us what he really meant without us needing people to, to, you know, get in the middle of it, then what do we really have with him? You find a marriage where the two people can't communicate together, but instead they need a referee, that marriage is in trouble. You think that's the kind of relationship God wants with us? The Bible talks about marriage being a type of the relationship we have with Jesus. Is that the kind of marriage God wants to have with his people, with his children? Of course not. He wants to be able to communicate with us. He wants us to be able to communicate with Him. How is that going to happen? By accepting His Word to be His thoughts and His ways. We live in uncertain times. I believe that these are the last days. But God still has a plan for you and me and all of the rest of His children. I want to challenge you to believe God and to believe His Word to be true in the area of finances. Thanks for watching today and come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You know the reason, one of the main reasons why we won't forgive other people? Because we're afraid they won't get what's coming to them. So what does that tell us about the love that we're supposed to walk in, the forgiveness that we're supposed to walk in? It's supposed to be a total forgiveness so that we're not looking for anybody to get theirs anymore. 
Now that can be tough. It's one thing to say, the love of God has filled my heart. And therefore, Father, I pray for my enemies, knowing full well that you will pour out the wrath of heaven upon them. But perfect love isn't looking for somebody to get theirs. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't deny that I've been done wrong. But it just says, I'm not looking for them to get theirs because of it. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.